folks. Welcome to the podcast. I've got a really interesting guest today that I think you'll enjoy hearing from. Uh, Juan Garzon uh, was the founder of, of a, a firm called Start Charlotte, uh, which we'll talk about uh, the, the evolution of that, and it's rec he's, he's recently sold it, um, which is now called Charlotte Inno, and I want to get into that. Uh, he's also the executive director of Pitch Breakfast, which if you've listened to really any of my prior podcasts where we talk about the local Charlotte startup scene, Pitch Breakfast is absolutely one of my favorite startup events in Charlotte. Um, and again, you've probably heard about it multiple times, so we'll dig into that. He also runs Garzon Company, which helps entrepreneurs create stronger branding and messaging. So I hope to cover all three. Juan, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. So can you give folks an overview of, of what Start Charlotte is, what it was, uh, how, how it became Charlotte Inno? Uh, yeah, so, so what it is, it's, kind of, it's a story. Um, <laughs> but uh, really what we were trying to do with Start Charlotte is to create a single brand and a single place where anyone who's interested in the startup community here in town could um, just go to one site and learn all about different events, people, companies, resources, mm -hmm. etc., uh, it's just one place to, to, to go to and figure out what's going on in the tech in the startup community here in town. That's great. And how long ago did you start that? That was three years ago now. Wow. Because I remember when I first decided that I wanted to engage in the Charlotte startup scene, I'd already run a couple of startups and I just didn't know where to get started. That would have been a, a great resource. I had Dan Roselli on the podcast uh, uh, fairly recently. We haven't, we haven't published it yet, but... Uh, uh, he even even Packard Place didn't exist at the time, so it's great to see resources like that because it is very useful for entrepreneurs getting started. Yeah, I mean that's that's you know a little part of the backstory there is I ran a company uh, a long time. It was 2004. I started a company in the mortgage space, uh, just trying to be the lending tree of manufactured homes, and uh, <laughs> it went out of business in 2008. As you can imagine why. I can't imagine why. But uh, <laughs> the you know that entire time when I would tell people what I was doing. You know, they kind of look at you funny. They're like, oh, you can't get a job. So uh, there was no mentorship programs, accelerator programs. The term mm -hmm. startup wasn't really used. Sure. Uh, and um, so, you know, when I had an opportunity to, to, to create Start Charlotte, a big part of it was I want entrepreneurs to have the resources that didn't exist, yeah. you know, when I was doing that the first time. So that was a big part of why Start Charlotte existed. What, what are some examples of the kind of resources that you, that you aggregate with Start Charlotte? Yeah, so um, you've got entrepreneurs who are wanting to raise capital, have no idea what angel groups or VC groups there are in mm -hmm. town. You've got uh, mentorship programs, accelerators, uh, just meetups, uh, events where mm -hmm. they might meet other people in their industry, just things like that. That's great. So do you partner with Meetup in that case, or do you just link uh, I mean, out we, to Meetup? Yeah, we, we host things on Meetup. Um, okay. But uh, we don't have any other any formal partnership, and we we'll share events on Eventbrite and Meetup, and you know wherever else they're posted. Okay, and and do you do a lot of work with the various co-working spaces? Yeah, yeah, we try to. So with Start Charlotte, we held several events like Startup One Hundred and One and Intro to the Startup Community at different co-working spaces. We would rotate them around mm -hmm. just to make sure that we're reaching as many people as possible. Okay, that that that's great. Um, now I mentioned that, that that you've recently sold it, but before prior to selling it, how did you think about scaling it and growing it, and 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 is it organized as a as a nonprofit or is it a for profit entity? Or yeah, so Start Charlotte was uh, it was actually a DBA for my consulting company. Okay. Uh, it was it was sort of a side project that started to grow legs really mm -hmm. in the past year. Um, it, I created it because I thought the community needed it, mm -hmm. but it's media. 
right? So sure. media, is that really the space you want to get into if you want to make money? I, that wasn't really the driver there because um, you know, <laughs> selling ads on it and all of that just, uh, just really wasn't, uh, it's not a world that I come from. So it was more about, you know, what does the entrepreneurial community need? Mm-hmm. What can we create? And we had a small team of volunteers. We had writers. We had, you know, an editor. We've got some event people. Um, and we all just were able to together you know, create a lot of value and, and really grow our readership and, and, and sort of that influence. Um, so it, it didn't start off as like, hey, I'm going to grow this. I'm going to create this, uh, this media business in the startup sure. space. But it started to, to really turn into that, which really opened up the door to the conversation with American Inno. So, so I want to spend a little bit more time on on uh, your consulting company that, that you mentioned, um, and, and we'll dig into that. But but I'd like to just talk a little bit about that. How much time? So, so obviously you've got a, a consulting company that's taking all of your all, at, at the beginning all of your time. It's what you were working on, other than than pitch breakfast, which we'll also talk about. You 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 create this Start Charlotte resource. When does it start to eat into the time that you're spending? When does it become not a full time job, but enough time to where you're starting to do less consulting? Well, it, it always eats into your uh, <laughs> consulting time. As my my wife would remind me from time to time. Um, but uh, <laughs> you, you know, they they very much all three of them are related. Uh, Start Charlotte, Pitch Breakfast, and 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 my consulting were all based around um, you know storytelling. It was always helping mm-hmm. entrepreneurs better tell their story and. Uh, you know, sometimes people that I would meet at a Start Charlotte event would uh, need some consulting help. And so one would work in the other. So it's not like, well, I'm working on Start Charlotte, therefore I'm not doing any consulting work. Uh, you know, it, probably was fed, some, it was probably a good source of deal it, for, it, yeah, for you at some point. Yeah, right? yeah. It, there was some symbi- symbiosis there. Mm-hmm. That was not the reason for creating Start Charlotte. Um, it, you know, it's not the most, it's not always the most ideal. I deal with a lot of early stage founders mm-hmm. who need a lot of help but don't have a lot of money. Uh, so I wouldn't call it the perfect <laughs> lead generation tool, but, but I mean, it was enough that I could sustain it. I could keep building start Charlotte and I could, uh, you know, keep, keep the kids fed and all that. That That's great. So how did it, when did you know that it was a, a thing and when, and when did you start thinking about maybe this is its own company or its own entity or did you ever get to thinking about it that way yeah so so start charlotte really started to i'd say about a year ago um gain that traction where i was you know we were being quoted in other publications Mm -hmm. um we were um stories that we would write would would appear shared by other you know communities and and things like that and I, i was getting tapped for more um, you know, advisory panels and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized that, all right, Start Charlotte is starting to build uh, some credibility and it's starting to kind of build that groundswell. Um, and uh, it really, we were able to kind of elevate that when um, we ended up getting a, an ecosystem grant from NC Idea. I didn't even realize that you had done that. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And was that a year ago? Or was so, that was, so that was a little bit less than a year ago. Um, that was last uh, October, I think it was. Okay. And, you know, that allowed us to bring on uh, an editor and more writers and mm-hmm. kind of expand the content that we were creating and really allowed us to get to that point where, like, this is a legit thing. I got to block time off. We've got we to mm-hmm. do this. And really, was it still a DBA or did you create a separate entity? At it that it point? was a DBA. Okay. Uh, it, it was still a DBA. Um, and, uh, but it operated almost in, you know, Start Charlotte had its own bank account and had its own, uh, you know, process. I mean, it was, it, it was for all intents and purposes separate, but just legally, it was legally it was, thing. yeah, it was okay. a DBA. Interesting. Very interesting. So, so a year ago you get this grant, you start adding to the team. 
how do you start how do you start or how do you go about the process of of turning it in or selling it to charlotte you know yeah so you know we, we had a couple partners nc idea was obviously the grant was kind of a big one but we also had partners like innovate charlotte and uh, packard place uh, dan that you had on the show earlier um, and, and what is Innovate Charlotte, just for the folks listening who might not be yeah, aware? Yeah, so Innovate Charlotte is a public-private partnership mm-hmm. uh, that we've got in the community that um, runs events such as, or runs programs such as the um, Venture, what's it called? The Venture Mentoring Service, Venture Mentoring Program, which is a fantastic uh, program designed by MIT mm-hmm. uh, that helps entrepreneurs get access to um, high-quality mentoring. Okay. That's great. And is that in partnerships with local companies or is that with a network that MIT has put together? Yeah, or? no, it's it's local executives and professionals that um, that that uh, Innovate Charlotte has sort of brought in to um, to be a mem- to, to be part of this mentor okay. program. So you've got, you know, uh, retired executives, you've got other founders, investors, just uh, a, a wide range. Probably of lawyers, mentors. accountants, finance professionals, people who understand different yeah. aspects of the, of the business. Yeah, but. yeah, exactly. So no, they, they, it's, it's a great program. I highly recommend it for anyone who's looking for mentorship. Yeah, so there's naturally some synergy there with what you're trying to do in terms of connecting people with resources. That's a great resource for them, yeah, them exactly. to connect to. And, and so... So, so you're partnering with all of them, and then how, how does Charlotte Inno come into the picture? And, and I, I take it that there's a broader organization than Charlotte Inno, and this, by acquiring you, they created Charlotte Inno? Is yeah, that, so, so American Inno uh, is, a, is an organization that has these, um, it's a media company that has publications in now 13 markets. Wow. Uh, these are digital publications um, similar to what Start Charlotte was doing, mm-hmm. but it's a part of the American City Business Journals okay. company. Um, so, uh, you know, it's related to the business chronicles and business journals that you might see like Charlotte business journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 40 of those, I think, um, throughout the nation and, uh, American Inno has, uh, digital innovation and technology entrepreneurship focused, um, publications in now 13 of those. Wow. So were we sitting number lucky? 13? So we were no- lucky number 13. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so American Inno is headquartered right here in Charlotte. Okay. Um, and um, is is the business? I know that Charlotte Charlotte Business Journal is here, but is the actual parent company of the yeah. business journals here as well? Yeah. Interestingly, the parent company's offices are right across the highway from Charlotte Business Journal's offices. Okay. It's like you can see one from the other. They're right across the road. <laughs> um, so so yeah. So American Inno is there, and American Inno has built up this network and. Um, uh, you know, they, they've been holding events and writing content resources, kind of doing the same thing I was doing with Start Charlotte. And they um, were interested in starting something in Charlotte. And, you know, they come out to a pitch breakfast event. Uh, wow. So it all comes together. Folks. Yeah. So they, uh, you know, they they, they um, were able to, you know, we, we sat down, had a conversation. This was this is a, a little while back now. And, um, you know, a lot of what Start Charlotte was doing was the same thing that they're trying to do in their markets. But they've already got I, I take it that they've already got the infrastructure in place for selling ads and all of that in exactly. place that you probably didn't have an appetite that to, was, to build. <laughs> that was it, right? So Start Charlotte was funded through through special partnerships and and the grant, and uh, you know I, we didn't have an, a, a, an ad salesperson or a mm-hmm. sponsorship salesperson. Whereas uh, American Inno, you know, partners with the same people who who sell the big event partnerships with uh, the Charlotte Business Journal. So their ability to garner that support just far surpassed what I was able to do is start <laughs> Charlotte. And it, it made sense. I mean, the alternative would have been, we, we now have a Charlotte, you know, and a start Charlotte, 
you know, competing for the same dollars, the same eyeballs, mm-hmm. telling the same story. So it just made sense to 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 find a way to collaborate, and, and that's what we did. So Start Charlotte became Charlotte Inno, lucky number thirteen, mm-hmm. in the American Inno Network. That's wonderful that we're number thirteen in something. I mean, because it's you figure how many other things where they expand throughout the country, we're probably often number twenty or number thirty, right? So that's. That's one measure that is number thirteen. I guess it helps that that it's here in in Charlotte, though. That, that the the parent company is. Yeah, here in I, I'd say that the exciting thing, and this is conversations that we're having uh, at you know all the time, is because the parent company is here in Charlotte, because Start Charlotte has you know we've got a pretty loyal following. We've got people who come out to all of our events. We've got a good sort of reputation here, and we've been doing things a little bit differently. It gives Charlotte you know the opportunity to to try new things. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, you know, having some events and writing some stories that, um, that, that even American Inno hasn't done in, in some other markets. Um, and, and that certainly the Start Charlotte wasn't able to do on our own, mm-hmm. but that, you know, sort of combined, we're able to, to, to do some pretty cool stuff. So I'm looking forward to the year ahead. Well, that's great. I know um, in a prior life, I was heavily involved in an event called Energy Inc. that the Charlotte Business Journal puts on. And it was a top-notch event where they pulled in... Uh, energy company executives from all over the world. Obviously, you'd have the Jim Rogers at the time, who was the CEO of Duke Energy, but then they had the French CEO of, a, of the leading nucle- some of the leading nuclear providers in the world, and just all sorts of executives from all over the globe would show up. We had senators would come speak at the events. Uh, I think 700 people attended, maybe even 1,000. It was in the Charlotte Convention Center. Do they have plans for events like that on, on that kind of scale with that level of production and, and fit and finish for the innovation community? Yeah, certainly the the production value of, mm-hmm. of events um, rises dramatically when you've got a dedicated events team, mm-hmm. you know, versus most of our events, which I would say I think we did a pretty good job. We, we had, Start Charlotte had some amazing uh, events people, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was primarily volunteer run, right? Uh, so uh, a little different when they're being paid. For it, it. Yeah, it's it's a li- it's a little bit different um, when when you actually have a, a team that's you know experienced in that mm-hmm. and all of that. So yeah, it, you're definitely going to see a, a, an increase in the production value of events. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be you know quite at the senators from all over the world? You know? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but there'll be some pretty good events. That's great. So. That, that's all really interesting to me, and congratulations on that. That's really cool to create something and, and, and to sell it. That's, that's awesome, especially yeah. in such a short time frame. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really exciting. I'm continuing on with Charlotte Inno as the general manager there, so mm-hmm. pretty much doing what I was doing with Start Charlotte. Um, I am also was also brought on as head of ecosystem development for American Inno. Oh, cool. So I'll also be you know, working with other American Inno markets to see how they can uh, you know, build ecosystem, build community, kind of like what we did. Yep. That's great. So I want to transition to Pitch Breakfast because, as I mentioned, yeah. um, it's it's one of my absolute favorite events. I tell anybody who's who's getting started, they ask, "What should we be going to?" And I'm like, "This is where you start," <laughs> and then kind of fan out from there. I actually, Chris and I had started Reward Summit, which is how That's I right. met you. Yeah. You reached out because you were just interested in it, and um, and Jim Van Fleet and and uh, Vic Howie had invited us to pitch in the inaugural event. Uh, which was really cool. Chad Stackowicz also did, not with Cloverhound. That's right, yeah. He had a predecessor company, Minds, Minds Mel. Or M- Minds Mesh, Mesh, I think. Minds yeah. Mesh, that's, that's right. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then I think, um, I can't remember her name, but she was running the torch at the time. Um, uh, Lenore Vassal. Lenore Vassal, that's yeah. Right. We, I think we were the, the three speakers, or maybe Chad spoke at the second one, but it's, it is a fantastic event. Um, can you give just a 
quick overview for everybody of, of what Pitch Breakfast is? Yeah, so Pitch Breakfast uh, in Charlotte is a monthly event where entrepreneurs have a chance to give a, an investor pitch. So it's typically a five-minute pitch, although we've got another format. And they do so in front of an audience, but we have a panel of experts that listens to the pitch and then gives them feedback mm-hmm. on that pitch, helps to improve it. Um, Vic, uh, the, the founder of Pitch Breakfast, likes to call it the bullpen, okay. uh, where <laughs> you know an entrepreneur gets to go practice their pitch in a safe and supportive environment before they have to go do it for real. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it's a lot of fun for sure and, and really good good practice for people. And is that the second Wednesday, I believe, of yes, every month? Yes, so in Charlotte, it's the second Wednesday of every month. Mm-hmm. We also do it in other cities uh, where we do it usually about once a quarter. Okay. Uh, in Asheville and uh, Davidson, and we'll have another one this fall. Okay. Davidson really is uh, getting – I had Greg Brown on the show, and he mentioned that he started doing meetings up in yes. up in Davidson as well. Yeah, there's, there's a whole uh, you know, community of, um, of entrepreneurs and, and investors and retired executives that live up in that Lake Norman, Davidson, Cornelius area. Tresada has invested pretty heavily in the area, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah. And, um, you know, with, with I-77 and traffic being what it is, a lot of them, they don't want to come down to events yeah. in Charlotte. <laughs> so the fact that the Davidson now has uh, the hub mm-hmm. uh, up there and Launch LKN, uh, it's really sort of bringing its own little community uh it's not it's not really that little but you know they kind of have their own sub community even though we consider them part of the greater charlotte community so having things like greg brown's charlotte angel fund Mm -hmm. up there and pitch breakfast up there is just a way to connect the two yeah it probably extends the reach so that somebody in a statesville or even further north can they're much more likely to come to a davidson i would imagine than downtown uptown charlotte very cool. So you guys have two different formats, if I recall correctly. Um, can you talk about what they are and w- what you like better or less about each each format? Yeah. So with Pitch Breakfast, our traditional format is a five-minute pitch mm-hmm. with slides, and then there's 10 minutes of Q&A with our panelists. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of that really is to practice the, the typical pitch, uh, lots of pitch events, uh, do a five, six-minute pitch. Um, pitch competitions. Some angel groups will also limit you to that uh, amount of time. And um, it's, I mean, we're not like cutting the microphone off at five minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's (laughs) supposed to be a sort of safe, supportive environment, but you do have to be concise. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for founders who maybe haven't pitched before, explaining their entire business model in five minutes, like, you know, that's that's tricky. Um, And uh, it's, it's, we found it to be a really good way to get the right amount of information out and get, get the right amount of feedback. Now, once a quarter, we partner with Idea Fund Partners out of Durham. Mm-hmm. And Idea Fund Partners comes down and sits on our panel. And when they do, we do a different format. It's a two-minute investor pitch, mm-hmm. more like an elevator pitch at that point. You cannot use slides. So in two minutes, you need to be able to Get, get their interest basically mm-hmm. uh, and convey enough that they're that they want to learn more and then the panel has 15 minutes to ask those clarifying questions and give you feedback that's interesting and i would guess that because we're playing with live live ammunition these are investors uh the fit the 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 feedback that they're giving is is probably taken a little more seriously even though you've got some very illustrious uh yeah panelists they're 
they're also they're they're not doing it with real money that they may actually be investing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would argue that you know a lot of our panelists give are just are just amazing. I yeah. mean, they really. They I really had are. Garth on the podcast. I've seen yeah. him there a couple times. It's just it's when it's like E. F. Hutton when he speaks, everybody listens. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we've we've got some amazing panelists, but but the two minute one uh, for one, we do ask that you have a little bit more experience to do mm-hmm. the two minute. Um, companies that do the five minute are are invited to come back and do the two minute because mm-hmm. it, it's harder. Yeah. Uh, for people who say, well, two minutes is less time and I don't have to, I don't need to use slides. Great. Like that's easier. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the two minute pitch is a lot harder and, um, it really is sort of its own animal. So, so we do allow companies to come back and pitch okay. uh, uh, on that one. What, what do you see as different between the two? Like what, what do you like better about the five minute versus the two minute? And what do you like better about the two well, minute? Well, if done correctly, um, your slides can really serve to tell a lot of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have to explain your business in two minutes or even in five minutes and you can't use visuals, um, your language has to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes if it's a technology or a business model or a pricing model or something, you, you just want to sketch it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So the five minute format gives you the ability to use slides so you can sketch it out. You can, yep. you know, if used correctly, um, whereas with the two minutes, you don't have that. So I like the five minute if slides are used correctly, because how often are they used correctly in your well, estimation? Well, uh, um, I, I come from a consulting background, and it's the same thing. It, a person who knows how to make a slide deck yes. can make a very impactful presentation. Yes, but it's yes. it's hard. It's an art. It's it, it is an art. Yeah, and and if you think of it, and I I, I teach pitching. Uh, I, I I work with the uh, with Dan Roselli's mm-hmm. uh, the Queen City FinTech Accelerator Program, and every class that goes through that program goes through a workshop that I teach on on pitching. And you know, I talk a lot about laying out the story, laying out the flow, the way investors want to hear it, using slides to support mm-hmm. you know, certain points. And if you do it that way, uh, you don't rely on the visuals. You're not reading off the slides as a script. The slides can be a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. If they're not, which sometimes they're not, you know, then it's more of a distraction. Yep. And it's more of you're using it as a crutch, uh, I'm trying, I spend so much time reading all the words on your slides. I'm not listening to you. Uh, there's a lot of ways that they can be used wrong. I've, I've seen quite a few where they, they throw something up and I'm like, there, nobody even in the front row can read the first word on that. <laughs> right. <thing."> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I love it when they, but, but that's, it's good to do that in, uh, yeah. in, in that environment rather than in front of a real investor or in front of a real customer. You'd rather do it there. And you know, Charlotte's a, I mean, we're, we're a Southern city in that you can meet with somebody and, uh, with an investor and they'll meet with you and, and they'll say, you know, this is not something that I'm interested in right now, or, uh, you know, there's a challenge here, but they don't always give you all of that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or sometimes they'll be like, oh, we'll be in touch, yeah. you know, which is just, <laughs> and that's not investors specifically. I'm talking about anybody just that you meet Absolutely. with. In Pitch Breakfast, you know that you're coming in to get feedback. Yeah. You know, to get that 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 critique, and so I think that's that's really powerful. But yeah, it's uh, you, you know, think f- about a quarter of them or what you'd call good or. Uh, <laughs> I I don't want to say anything. They're all they're all good in their own respects. Like they <laughs> they, they all uh you know th- th- they're all up there, and it, it we get over a hundred people at every event, and yeah. some some of these people have never presented before ever. Yeah. And they get up there and they, they bear their soul, right? You know, the company <laughs> they've been working on so hard, sometimes for years. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're willing to do that um, and be open to, to, that, to that critique is, is always great, regardless of whether they're an effective presenter or not. Yeah. So um, I've seen a couple there where their presentations are rough, but you can tell that they're passionate. 
they're they need some coaching they need some mentorship and you can tell that their that their idea may have legs that that they may have the ability to do it and that's and on the one hand it sometimes is painful but then when if, if you peel back the layers and look and you say no this this is doing exactly what it's supposed to do right. yeah yeah you have to get through the the ugly period right yep. you have to get there in order to get to that polished uh, polished side and um I think pitch breakfast helps with that yeah. because if you're in the audience and you're like, wow, my idea is not that refined or, you know, I, 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 whatever, whatever you think about your idea, once you're in the crowd and you're watching someone and they're very early and they're very passionate and you know, the panel gives them some good, good some feedback. Like I didn't understand what you do, but it's clear that you know what you're doing yep. and you know, work on this, all of that. Um, it, it's why we do it. We always say that pitch breakfast is great for the companies mm -hmm. because it's a chance to practice their pitch in a safe and supportive environment. But the real reason why we do Pitch Breakfast is for everybody in the audience. Mm -hmm. They learn a lot from it. Uh, we hear it all the time. Uh, Co-founders have been met. Clients have been met. Uh, deals have been made just from people meeting uh, and, and what they hear at those events. So, so that's why we do it. Uh, yeah, I definitely could, could see that happening. What is the biggest mistake pitchers make in your, in your mind? Or what are some of the biggest mistakes? So um, the, the biggest challenge is in effectively communicating what problem they're solving is at least that I've seen it's, it's where right. a lot of companies get 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 caught up um, when when we do our pitch workshops um, I outline the 10 questions that investors want answered in a pitch uh, you know there's 10 things that they want to hear and the first one is what problem are you solving and it doesn't sound like it would be that hard to answer. But when you have, well, if you, if you have 10 things and you've got five minutes, you've got 30 seconds yeah. for each of them too. Yeah. So now you've got 30 seconds to answer that. You better get, get you, there quickly. You, yeah, and you have to be able to convey that in a, in a way that makes sense to, to, to the investor or to the audience. But you'd be amazed at how many times entrepreneurs say, oh, problem, I solved this problem, done. And it's like, do you really? Is that really what you're solving? And is it really a problem? Is and it, is it, is it really a vitamin a problem? or a medicine? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there's a lot of time. And sometimes they are solving great problems, but it's not what they think they're solving. It's, it's, it's very sort of meta. But, but I, I see so many companies get caught up in that, um, that uh, if, if they can figure that out. There, there's a quote, and I forget who the guy is. Um, I think it's Dave McClure, 500 Startups, yep. uh, who said, focus 80% on the problem. 20% of the solution. Okay. It doesn't mean you're going to spend 80% of your time talking about it. Yeah. But spend 80% of time making sure that you're solving the right problem and you know what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you're in a pitch and you convince me that there is this huge problem and there's a market, right? There's a lot of people who are paying money to solve this problem and you've got a solution to it and you run out of time, I'm going to ask you about your solution. But if you spend 80% of your time talking about this solution, amazing solution that you've designed, and I'm not clear on whether anyone's going to buy it because it doesn't really solve a problem. Yeah. I'm going to say, that sounds great, but it's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you get the problem right. I'm, I'm curious if you see this at, at Pitch Breakfast, because um, you've been to a lot more than, than, than I have, obviously. But, you, uh, yeah. but, but a lot of pitches that I see, I think people hear, it, rightly so, that you you know, investors want to bet on the jockey, right? Like they, and Greg talked a lot about this in, in our podcast. He talked about, look, you're probably going to get your idea wrong. You're probably not going to build the right product the first time. You're probably not going to have a good market fit, but if you're good, you can pivot. And if I feel like you're committed, I'm much more likely to in invest in you because you're going to be willing to, 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 to pivot. Sure. And I, I think people hear that and they hear investors bet on good teams 
And so they think they need to spend a lot of time on the team. And so they end up spending a bunch of time on the introductions. And again, I don't remember seeing this very often in, in pitch breakfast, but yeah. is that something that you run into? Because it seems yeah. like in a lot of pitches that happens. Yeah, the, the team is always an interesting one. Um, I know a few people out there, and we've got some panelists uh, who are talk about the team first, mm-hmm. talk about the team more, yeah. right? T- spend more time on the team. Tell us more about the team. And and, and I get that. Like, yeah. I, I really do. Um, you know, if one of the biggest questions that that I would say is being addressed by the team slide is, can you pull this off? Mm-hmm. Right. You've convinced me that you've got a market. You've convinced me that you've got, um, you know, the right solution, blah, blah, blah. Can you pull this off? Mm-hmm. And that's what the team slide answers yeah. is we can pull this off because we've you know put together this team, blah, blah, blah. Um, depending on the venue, I don't always believe that the team should go up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it depends on the venue. Uh, you can be in some instances where an angel group is, is, is um, watch, you know, they're listening to several pitches or mm-hmm. a pitch competition or something like that. And if you start off saying, hey, we've got a team and we're, we're so-and-so and so-and-so, unless you've, you know, got some hardcore legit experience, like uh, I've... I'll exited. give you an example. I yeah. saw Igor's pitch for Prion, his new company, Igor, <laughs> yes. founder of Yap, yep. which became Alexa. <laughs> yep. He spent a lot of time on the team and rightly so. So, so the way, the way I break a pitch down is you've got to sell the opportunity, you've got mm-hmm. to sell the vehicle and you've got to sell and you've got to present an ask. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of early stage companies, the team is part of the vehicle, mm-hmm. right? It's the, there's an amazing opportunity out here and we've built the right product, the right uh, model mm-hmm. and the right team to get it done. So it answers that question. Can you pull this off? If you have a background like Igor, mm-hmm. right? If your last name is Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. then your team is not part of the vehicle. It's part of the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Because basically what someone like Igor is saying is, I have solved some massive problems and now I'm tackling this problem. Yep. That's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. For most early stage startups, the team is not the opportunity. Yep. It's the vehicle. That's a great way of putting it. I haven't heard it framed that way, but that's exactly it. Yeah, it's trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> then I won't use it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Without royalties. <laughs> Is there anything that all or most great pitches contain? I mean, I think you just laid it out that there's this, you know, there's 10 things that they need to address and they need to think through the, those three parts that you just talked about. But there are, are there things other than those that most great pitches contain? Um, so really good pitches not only answer those questions, but do so in a way that engages people at a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no matter what kind of metrics you have it, if there's not an emotional pull in the pitch, then it's, it's just draining to listen to. Yeah. And, and that emotional pull is usually done by story. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, human beings respond to story. It's what I've devoted my life to yeah. is stories and storytelling. Uh, and no, I, I, I tell the, the sales team we build at Level and any company that I advise and the sales team that we build at Amentra and at NextGrid, it's all about find through. I tell people, and this is selling, this isn't right, raising money, but this is selling. Well, raising money is selling. It is selling. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And even hiring people is selling. Yeah. But, and again, even when we're interviewing candidates, I, I tell everybody, have three or four stories that you just know really well. I don't even care if it's three or four, even if you just have two, but know them well, be passionate, tell the story. People remember stories. They don't remember features. They don't remember the, the deck that shows all the other customers. They, they want to hear the stories of how other people solve problems or that type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So if, if, if used effectively, you know, a story can draw people into an emotional desire to either support you mm-hmm. or to 
convey the problem that you are addressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories allow you to, to convey the emotion. And then, and, and this is true of any decisions. Human beings make decisions emotionally and we rationalize with logic. Mm-hmm. You know, people always think, no, no, I'm going to make a, you know, a nice rational decision. I'm going to see which company here is the best investment and all of that. But the reality is we make a decision emotionally and the entire time we're just like, let me justify this. Let yep. me justify this. So you have to engage emotionally and you can do that. And I, one of the methods that I teach for, for, for um, clarifying what the problem is, is using stories to clarify the problem. Mm-hmm. I, I will throw this out there because storytelling I think in a good way, has become very in vogue mm-hmm. in marketing, communication, sales, everything, right? Storytelling is, is kind of the, 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 the term du jour. And um, I have seen people not use it correctly. They'll throw a story out there that has nothing to do with what they're pitching. Yeah. You know, um, if you tell a story and it outlines a problem and then your solution solves another problem, I don't care that you had a story. I'm still not going to yeah. invest in you. These right? aren't the drones you're looking for. Right, right. <laughs> so, so because of that... Um, the story needs to serve a purpose. It doesn't, you can't just throw it in there and expect it to save anything. Yeah. But that being said, storytelling is a great way to, uh, to engage. That's, that's great. How has the event evolved over, over time? Besides going to, you know, you, you added the idea fund, you, you've obviously opened up to other, other cities. Is there anything else that's evolved? Obviously the, the attendance seems to have gone up. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause you know, it's been so iterative that you might say, oh, yeah, it's, it's grown, but it's still the same thing. It really has evolved a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was a little bit more, uh, you know, I mean, Vic will even say, like, well, this is just an idea. They just kind of threw it together, got 12 people in the room. And let's see what happens. And what we've done um, was to really systematize it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's the criteria for selecting a company? What's the criteria for selecting a panelist? What does the, the run of show look like? How do we address sponsors? Um, all of that has been systematized. We became a 501c3 mm-hmm. a few years ago. So now we're, we're a you know, legit organization, nonprofit. What was it organized as before? It was, it was just, just a volunteer organization. Okay. Um, and so, then, so no legal entity? No, no, no. Yeah, before it had no, no, it was not a legal entity. Um, we asked a couple sponsors, hey, do you mind buying breakfast? And then now we've got like a you know, bank account, an accountant mm-hmm. in our different partner relationships and all of that. So, um, and now we're in multiple cities, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, it is now a more formal organization. We have a board, we've got, you know, teams in different cities and um, all of that behind the scenes has made it run smoother mm-hmm. and has made it higher quality. And every pitch is professionally videoed. And yeah. all of those things has just made it a more effective event. But it's been, you know, it's six years old now. Yeah. So <laughs> it's so iterative that, you know, well, it's, it's interesting. In a way, you're an, ag- you're an aggregator, right? Because you, you, you've, you're a good place for the, the better the, the audience is that's coming in and, and watching it, the better the panelists are, the more uh, pitchers. The, the more pitchers you end up uh, bringing in and the better the better entrepreneurs you get. But the better the entrepreneurs are, the better the audience is. So yeah. You're really aggregating demand and supply there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we keep the panel quality high yep. and we make sure we get some decent companies up there, more people come and, you know, higher quality people want to attend. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it all sort of feeds itself. Yep. So I mean, we, we're definitely seeing the fruits of that. So it, it sounds like you have, but do you, do you know of anybody over time who has gotten funding as a direct or near direct result of pitching at well, Pitch it, Breakfast? Well, it's hard to say direct. Sure. Uh, simply because... Lester we, doesn't walk up to them and say, here's yeah, a term sheet. <laughs> uh, so I start every event with a, with a, um, a disclaimer. 
Yeah, where it says, hey, when they're pitching you for money, they're not really pitching you for money. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's very much meant to be, um, uh, you know, just to practice. Yep. Uh, but um, we've had several connections made at the events. And we always say, look, if you're interested in any of these companies, ask them for coffee, you know, mm-hmm. take them the coffee afterwards or whatever. And we've had several, it's all anecdotal. It's, it's hard to track, mm-hmm. but we've had uh, deals made. We've had uh, a couple companies go through Shark Tank through oh, several wow. levels. We had uh, one company that was on the show, The Doctors, with a product that they pitched at Pitch Breakfast first. Oh, that's great. Um, we had, uh, um, what was it? One, oh, um, Skipper, uh, yeah. Maggie Williams. She's um, been on the podcast, and I invested in Skipper. Yeah, so, so their <laughs> very Greg first, yeah, their very first pitch was Pitch Breakfast in practice to go to Charlotte Angel Fund, okay. which then led to other opportunities, Idea Fund. Uh, and ultimately uh, a Techstars Accelerator, right? Yep. And, and so so that was where they, you know, pitched first and sort of got that, that experience. So you're going to take credit for Meggie's success? Or? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. No, no, they, they, they do great stuff. But, but, but being able to have that as that first place to get that exposure, get that practice, mm-hmm. uh, I think has, has benefited lots of companies. Very cool. Uh, what makes a great judge in your mind? So we look for three things in a panelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look for experience w- investing, mm-hmm. experience raising. So they've been an entrepreneur, and they have to do good in front of an audience. So they have experience and knowledge of both sides of the table. Like they know what it's like to be that that mm-hmm. person raising money, but they've also uh, assessed other investments and made investments themselves. But those two alone aren't, aren't enough if you don't do well in front of an audience. Or if you're an asshole, pardon my friends. If you're an asshole, which, <laughs> uh, you know, we, I mean, not, not going to say any, anything more, but like we... I, I've been to a couple of events. We've had trial and errors, <laughs> and we've got a really good panel now. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, not just, not just whether you're, you're nice, mm-hmm. but, you know, do you engage the audience? And, and the questions that you're asking, are they hyper-specific to this industry? Or are they done? Are they thought provoking? Yep. Uh, so we look for all of that. Very cool. H- how do you find new judges and new companies to pitch? I mean, obviously, it's kind of a snowball at, at this point. It sounds like. But. Yeah. So for panelists, uh, it, that's interesting in our newer markets. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a nice stable panel. We'll rotate a couple people out. We'll rotate some new people in in Charlotte. Um, we'll sometimes we'll have a guest panelist on as like a trial, and then. Uh, roll them into the rotation. So Charlotte, we've been lucky. We've had some panelists with us over six years, I mean, since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So so that's been fantastic. Um, in other markets, we are trying to make sure that we get a good mix, um, that we have uh, you know the right kind of uh, feedback. We only do it once a quarter mm-hmm. in Davidson and in Asheville, so it's a little bit harder because mm-hmm. you don't have that monthly uh, recurring thing. But we're, we're still finding some amazing panelists there, so it's it's working. And then in terms of getting new new companies to pitch, I mean... It, if you, you are interested in practicing your pitch, please sign up at pitchbreakfast.com. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes as yes, well. Yes, yes. No, and we're, Twitter account and we're always looking for, for companies. Um, we usually get companies on like two to three months out just because we get a lot of applications, but we don't accept everybody. Yeah. You know, we are looking for companies that um, are scalable, are investable. If it's a lifestyle business, it's not really the right medium. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm opening a massage spa or <laughs> with no angle to it or, or, or uh, you know, those yeah, of, you generally know, a brick I'm opening and, up a subway franchise. Yeah, generally a brick and mortar, a franchise, things like that. Um, if it's sort of 
you know, I can't say it's an industry because if you were to say, hey, I've got a dog walking service that I'm running this summer. Well, no, that's a lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Skipper, that's a scalable dog walking service. Yeah, so absolutely. So it's not just what you're doing, but also the, the mindset you're, you know, are, are, are you, is it, are you opening up a dry cleaner around the corner or are you opening up this to you laundry, to you laundry right? Yeah. So that's, that's very different. Um, so yeah, we're, we're looking for the right kinds of companies. And also it's important that your pitch is about your business model and not trying to sell the audience. So do you get a, an advanced copy of the pitch or any insight into what they're so going to say? They send us the pitch deck in advance. Um, and also in the application, we ask them things, you know, what's your stage and what's your value prop and all of that. So that helps us uh, narrow that down. We don't do a thorough, like we're going to review your entire pitch before mm-hmm. you pitch. And that's simply a matter of um, manpower and time. Yep. Very cool. How often, if ever, do people pitch more than once? So we've had a few companies pitch more than once, and for the most part, it's companies that did the standard pitch who then come uh, back for an idea fund pitch. Okay. We don't generally have you come back. There have been a few cases where one founder will come back with a different company. Okay. I want to say that's happened at least two, maybe three times. Okay. Um, but yeah. Cool. Well, I want to switch gears to, to your consulting company. We've mentioned it a couple times. Um, it, it's called Garzone Company. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't get too creative there. <laughs> so can you give just a quick overview of, of what Garzone Company does? And are you still operating it now that... Now yeah. That yeah. So that's uh, also, it's about going on seven years old now. We do um, messaging and marketing strategy, um, really centered around storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through that, we've worked with several founders uh, on uh, on their pitch mm-hmm. uh, or on their brand, and we've worked with some um, uh, larger companies specifically on sales communications, messaging, and branding. Okay, great. And is it is it just you, or do you have a? I know you you've ended up bringing on a staff for. Um, for Start Charlotte, and, and that was part of it. But is, are there other consultants? Or is... Yeah, so I don't have I don't have uh, principal consultants, mm-hmm. um, but I've got other contractors that I have on okay. different projects. Um, I, I couldn't do any of this if it wasn't for my teams. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, pitch breakfast. I've got a pitch breakfast team, and Start mm-hmm. Charlotte. We've got we've had we had some amazing teams. Now Charlotte, you know, we've got a solid team there, and 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 with the Garzone Company, I've got a team that I rely on. Uh, as well. So I couldn't do any of it Got if it. it wasn't for the people that, that I work with. Yeah. And how, how do you think about scaling a business like, like our zone company? Is it taking on things like pitch breakfast and, and, uh, start Charlotte that are complimentary and that maybe open up new opportunities or. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that was always an interesting thing. I, I had this, uh, this, this aversion to, to, to launching an agency. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. I, I actually really liked the independence of, um, uh, of being a consultant and putting custom teams together, um, you know, specific to a client. Uh, I, I just like the flexibility of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the scalability of it is yeah. not necessarily, uh, uh, optimal. And so one of the things that I'd been looking at is that through all of the projects that I've worked with oh, throughout the years, um, lots of that messaging and branding projects is I've been building frameworks, um, and sort of, crafting that methodology like what was it about this one naming project that we did and this other branding project that we did you know what does it all have in common and i use various frameworks out there but i've gotten to this point where i'm developing my own frameworks and methodology and um you know that's something that i would probably that's the direction that i would go in is more um teaching yeah is more 
coaching. And, and would you view that as enablement for people who maybe aren't as seasoned as you are to be able to go do it so that you build some scalability into it? Or is it that you would be spending less time so you yourself could walk through more people? Yeah, or both, that, guess, that's the thing. I have to spend less time on it, right? Because yeah. I've, I've, you know, we, we've got this, this new project with Charlotte Inno and I'm, I'm, I want to dedicate mm-hmm. you know, a lot of my time to, uh, to that. Um, but uh, that's something that I think right now um, there are a lot of companies that need the, 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 the work that I did with larger companies. There's a lot of smaller companies that need the same thing mm-hmm. and um, can't afford to hire a consultant to come in and work with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a framework and whether this is um, taught in a workshop where one of my consultants kind of comes in and works with you, or works with various companies, um, or whether it's even just purely an educational thing, uh, you know, there's the whole course Mm-hmm. where you've got sort of a video course where you kind of walk you through step-by-step step how to construct an effective pitch, yeah. how to think through your brand. Um, this is all s- materials that I have. And so now that I'm thinking about like, well, what's next for the Garzon company since I'm spending a lot more time outside of direct client work, it's that. It's framework to education. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so h- how much, I mean, are, how much time are you spending on Garzon company? I'm guessing as you transition, you probably have to scale that back. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. Um, I am spending, a, <laughs> uh, the bulk of my time now on, uh, on, on this, you transition, this is, um, you know, this is pretty fresh right now and, and we want to make sure that this goes off without a hitch. Um, so I'm relying a lot more heavily on, on my consultants and contractors, uh, mm. for, for that right now. Great. And what goes into a great or what kind of things go into a great brand in your mind? What are some common themes in a great brand or things that people need to be thinking about? Yeah. So, so some interesting things I found just from working with different level companies and different Mm -hmm. types of companies on branding is the smaller you go, the more fixated companies get on the logo Mm -hmm. or the tagline when they think of brand. Mm -hmm. Um, The larger you go, there's usually a different understanding of what a brand is, but a brand at the end of the day is, is, is a promise, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, when your customer sees anything having to do with your company or experiences anything having to do with your company, what's the feeling that they get? What's the sense that they get, right? A- as a brand, you're saying, whenever you see this color, whenever you mm-hmm. deal with this, whenever or you talk to one of our people, or scent this, air. this yeah. scent, yeah, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. um, it evokes X, right? Mm-hmm. We promise to do this. And understanding that that's what a brand is and that all of the other things, your, your, your logo, your colors, your website, your script, you know, the language the tone, all of that are just executions of what that core story really mm-hmm. is where it is. Um, if you understand that it makes branding a lot more effective, but you still have people or companies that get caught up on, well, I want the logo to look like this yeah. and I want the color to look like this. And, you know, here's a tagline that I thought was clever. It's not effective. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we, we put a lot of energy into, into the level brand and it, and it evolved over time. And what I found was that it really not only informs your, your customers and your partners, but it also informs your employees and it really drives your culture. And I was at an event last year where I, I, I heard um, a speaker talk about how important culture is for companies and at the end of the day it's the only sustainable source of competitive advantage that you have is your culture and and to me i just saw that the brand and the culture of level were just so entwined and we luckily we were very um we thought a lot about the culture that we wanted to create and we made sure that the brand reinforced it but then 
really the brand started to drive yeah. the, the culture and the two really co-evolved together as well. Yeah, as well it should. I'm, I'm actually, I've been working with uh, uh, another company here that went from one location to multiple locations and they mm -hmm. realized this is going to change. The, they're already seeing the culture change yep. and they realize we need to realign our brand mm -hmm. uh, to determine where we're headed, not where we came from. And so the project has been all about figuring out what that brand is. And uh, we went through a lot of process defining what their story is now. Mm -hmm. And now we've gotten to the point where we're updating logos and all of that. But it's all about what, what is that story that we're trying to tell. Yeah. Uh, story is a huge part of brand. I, I mentioned frameworks before, and one that I've been using a lot and, and I've built on it is this uh, framework called Story Brand, okay. which is a fantastic book recommend it, it's a book okay yeah uh, that, that, i haven't heard of that one oh yeah yeah um uh, donald miller he's an author who, who became a, a branding guru um and he's got a framework that is all based on storytelling but the the core of it and he's not the only one who, who talks about about this but he's my favorite the core of it is that um the, the, he uses what's called the hero's journey. Have you ever heard of the, the hero's journey? I have not, but I can imagine. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's this old um, hypothesis that uh, this philosopher, I forget exactly who it was who came up with it, but found that in ancient culture and ancient literature and religion and all of that, stories always tended to follow a similar Mm -hmm. framework, right? There's always a hero mm -hmm. and he wants to achieve something, but he can't because there's a villain or there's something in the way, right? Yeah. Some obstacle. And then he meets a mentor. He meets a guide, mm -hmm. right? He's, he's Luke Skywalker and it, he meets... Yeah. It could be the Kenobi. girl or it could be the yeah. old guy. He meets somebody be, yeah. and, and this mentor shows them a different way, shows them another path that allows them to achieve success mm -hmm. and they emerge transformed. It's There's a whole lot. You just search the hero's journey online and you'll find it. So what, what Donald Miller uh, sort of lays out in this framework is that many companies think of themselves, and entrepreneurs especially, and I run into this all the time, they think of themselves as the hero, mm -hmm. right? They've got their goal. They, they want what they want to, you know, they, they know what they want to achieve, and um, they run into obstacles. And a lot of times those obstacles are your clients. So your customers <laughs> get in the way. Like they're preventing you from getting what you want to achieve. Sometimes it's your banker. It could be your banker. It could be whatever. But but you see these you see these as, as as obstacles, and what what this framework lays out is that your customer is the hero of their own story. Okay. They want to achieve something. Yep. Your brand, you know, but they have obstacles. Your brand should be the guide. Okay. Your brand should be the mentor that helps them achieve that. And so a lot of my branding work is all designed around understanding what that narrative is from your customer's perspective, mm -hmm. building your brand around that. that. That's great. I had not heard it framed that way, but I think a, lo a lot of the things that we did well in branding level probably would have, by, by just dumb luck, would have yeah. helped facilitate that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, some great brands throughout time have done that, but um, maybe by accident. Yeah. But now <laughs> I, I think... I, in terms of explaining branding, because I've, I've had other frameworks that I've used throughout the years. I read a book called Primal Branding that I thought was really good. Yeah? Um, yeah. I have to check that one out. Yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But I'm definitely going to check out the, the story brand book yeah. and, and the hero's journey as well. What are some of your favorite brands? Not that you've created or helped with. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you one that, that has done a good job, although I've seen their competitors start to do a much better job with it, um, is uh, University of Phoenix. Okay. Because, you know, it's, it's online education, yeah. right? Which gets a bad rap sometimes. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's, I, I don't know. You can have your opinion <laughs> about 
online education. Sure. But um, what they've done with some of their ads, if you watch some of their ads, they've got these like 30 second stories Mm -hmm. and you get this sense of empowerment. Yeah. Uh, in such a compelling way, right? The the use of narrative, the use of visuals, the use of, of the music, everything just makes you feel a certain way afterwards mm-hmm. and you feel like I can do this. Yeah. Um, and that's what they're going for. Like that's the emotion that they want you to have. Yeah. And they do it so well that I think it's extremely powerful. Yeah. Um, so that's one, at least from an execution standpoint that I really like. Yeah. One of my favorites has always been Porsche, you know? Yeah. I, I just feel like they, they, they understand what they're selling. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I, I like, um, I, I'm a watch guy. Rolex is one of, one of my favorite brands. I just really like the way they, they yeah. present the brand. It's one of the most recognizable and also organized as a not-for-profit. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know. <laughs> so, so I don't think of Rolex as a non-profit. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I'm sure somebody's making some, some money off of that for sure. So, um, so it, it sounds like you do have a broader ecosystem of service providers that, that you work with, um, what what are they? Are there? Uh, I'm assuming if you're doing branding, there's visual designers, copywriters, web designers. Or, are there any others? Yeah. So I, I've had a chance to work with a few um, copywriters, designers, videographers uh, here in the community, um, which has been great. Uh, the fact that you know through Start Charlotte, for example, I was hiring writers was fantastic because mm-hmm. it allowed me to kind of assess copywriting skills and say, hey, do you want to you know, come in on this project? And I've worked with a few graphic designers um, here in town that I've met through co-working spaces and through the ecosystem, and that's been fantastic. Um, I like working with local, but I will tell you that uh, since my first company, uh, now shoot, 15 years ago, uh, I became very adept at um, sourcing, uh, sourcing um, uh, overseas. Okay. Well, not, not always overseas, but I used Elance a lot. Sure. Uh, I, I built my first company on Elance and now it's, it's Upwork yeah. uh, and, and platforms like that. So um, I'm a big fan of having specialist teams. Mm-hmm. So if I am working with a, um, you know, I worked with a, like an HR uh, assessment consulting firm, I brought in people who have worked in that space and I worked with a brewery and I brought in people who worked in that space. So having that, that you know, industry specific specialty, uh, I have methodology, but they have the experience of either writing, designing, developing or whatever for mm-hmm. that particular industry. I'm a big fan of that, which is why I said earlier, I've always had that aversion to building an agency. Mm-hmm. I've seen lots of agencies that puts together a team and then it's generalist. You know, you've got a copywriter who was decent in consumer packaged goods and now they're writing for a b2b company and they have to learn a lot yeah uh and so um you know I, i've just been a fan of bringing a crack commando team that's an expert in this industry and do the work and yep. then you reconfigure the team for the next client very cool how, how do you think someone should think about the evolution of a brand over time i mean obviously it's something that is going to to change over time but is is there a framework you use or coaching that you give people obviously when they start the brand, they have one mindset, but how does that change over time? And, and how do they know how to calibrate it as, as things are moving forward? Yeah, so um, the brand changes as your customers change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I gave the, 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 the store, the core story um, framework, and it's all centered around your customer. So when your customers change, if your company is growing and now you're going after different customers, you need to evolve your brand. Mm-hmm. If your customers are becoming different, right? Your product is now more expensive. You're going after a more affluent customer. Your brand needs to adapt. So the brand 
adapts as your custom. Or, or I mentioned before, multiple locations. You're, mm-hmm. You were in one neighborhood, you're in one location, now you're in multiple. Your brand needs to adapt. Mm-hmm. So whenever your customers change, your brand has to change. That's great advice for sure. So what is your background prior to going out on your own? How did you get in or what prepared <laughs> you for all of these activities? <laughs> do, we, do we have enough time for this, uh, this question? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I'll, I'll tell you kind of the, the connecting point to a lot of what I do. My dad was a comic book artist. Oh, cool. And so Marvel or DC or independent? Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, and Disney. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so he drew the original Star Wars uh, comics when the Very movies cool. first came out. Uh, so if you look at like Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, like the original Dark Horse comics, it's got Garzone on the cover. Oh, that's great. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I grew up in that world of uh, fantasy and stories mm-hmm. and visuals and comic book conventions, you know, still are, feel second nature to me. Like mm-hmm. that's just kind of the world. I just geek out on that stuff. Um, and I would, as a kid, you know, you just sit there in the studio and you just read comics Mm -hmm. and it's, it's all narratives and it's emotion and it's connection and history. And it was so compelling. And I didn't know that all my life. Right. I I thought I was going to be an engineer. I thought Mm -hmm. I was going to be a lawyer for a while. Um, and, uh, but, uh, later on in life, it, it, it came back to me, right. That what I liked about marketing was storytelling, you know, not the, not analytics, Mm-hmm. Not, you know, so much of marketing now, right? There's, oh, yeah. there's social media marketing, there's analytics, there's, there's so many different things. I gravitate towards that story aspect, and, and I think that's why. That's, that's cool. Did, did you work in, in branding and marketing prior to going out on your own then? Or? No, no that's, <laughs> that's where the story gets really interesting. So uh, I'll say that um, way back in the day, I, well, I graduated school. I thought I was going to um, be, be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I went to App State. Okay. University. I'm going to Boone this weekend for I the first time. Boone. Yeah. I love Boone. First time? Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Boone, Boone is amazing. Uh, it's always about 10 degrees cooler than it is in Charlotte. Right? So, so in the summer, <laughs> you really want to go there. Um, yeah. So I was in, in, in Boone and uh, at App State, uh, and I was on the pre-law track. Okay. And um, I went to... I was in a, a pre-law club. And I actually had one of the professors ask me, he's like, why do you want to be a lawyer? And the only thing I could think of was, well, I really like law movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign, Juan. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, storytelling movies. Like, I'm a sure. huge, huge movie buff. Um, I could record a whole other podcast on just movies that we've watched. Um, but, uh, you know, like Pelican Brief, A Few Good mm-hmm. Men, Runaway Jury. Like, yeah. I wanted to be that guy just railing, you yeah. know, and, and, and life or death situation. And he's like, you realize most lawyers don't do that like it's it's a lot more about the law and yeah uh, and all of that and so deflated my my bubble a little bit and um you're gonna do a lot more reading than yeah yeah it's more about the reading than than kind of getting up and speaking and and uh you know clearly if you ever see me get up in front of like pitch breakfast or some of these events i made the right choice i'm doing a lot more speaking i think than i would have been had i had i followed that track nothing against nothing against lawyers it's just i realized later in life like i'm glad i didn't go down that path yep um, so, so that was the track that I was on and then, uh, life got in the way. Yeah. So, Edit. so were you working, were you working in a corporation before? Prior? No, so I, I was in school, uh, I was at, at App State and, um, yeah. And so I, uh, met a girl there uh-huh. and so a long story, but ended up not finishing, okay. uh, at App State. And so I came back to Charlotte and 
started working in sales, right? If you don't have a degree, yep. what do you do? You sell. So I sold cars, insurance, uh, alarm systems, uh, water system. I, I just started to really hustle and, and, and learn a lot about sales. And that's where, you know, marketing started to kind mm-hmm. of open itself up as, as, as an option. Um, and uh, so I came back and I, I got married to the, got it. the girl in question. Uh, so we were in Charlotte. <laughs> and what, four or five kids? Uh, so we have four kids now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, we, um, we were back in Charlotte working for a while and I decided to start a business. I was working for a mortgage company and realized, hey, this lending tree thing is really cool. Yeah. They don't do mobile homes. Yeah. which uh, they, they didn't at the time. And so I decided, um, where, I was thinking, where do all these people with mobile homes go to refinance? Like, where do you go? Yeah. Most mortgage brokers, like the one I was working at, had like one or two programs. Well, I always wondered, is it a car loan? Is it a home loan? Is it something so in between? Typically, it is more like a car loan. It's called mm-hmm. a chattel loan. Okay. If it's not tied to the property, if it's tied to the property, then it's a regular mortgage. Okay. So, so, so yeah, if it's like in a trailer park or something like that, it's a chattel loan, which is yeah. a totally different kind of loan. Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't know this. And yeah. They want to refinance it. The rates were outrageous. So I um, quit my company after like a month. Um, oh, wow. Uh, the company that I was at and then decided to start MH Loan Finder, okay. which was an online service aggregating leads from all over the place. I sourced 200 different mobile home programs from around the country mm-hmm. and started to um, farm these, these uh, deals out, um, primarily in California, okay. so that I could uh, call them in the evening, uh, uh, yeah. and then uh, went back to school full-time during the day. I went to Johnson & Wales University, okay. uh, which had just opened up in Uptown Charlotte, and um, at the business school. I didn't... You weren't cooking. I didn't know about the culinary <laughs> school until I started going there and realized that that's what most people know it for. But uh, uh, yeah, I was in their marketing program and um, uh, started to um, learn more, you know, marketing. I ended up getting my marketing degree. Um, and I'll tell you, it's very different going to school. You know, as I was married, I had a mortgage. I had, mm-hmm. you know, lots of several years of experience. Going back to school was totally different than the first time. Yeah. You know, you're there for a reason. Yeah, you're there for a reason. So I was like, I was like volunteering for every club. I was the student body president. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, did three internships. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but all of that, you know, was able to build sort of the 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 connections and the the exposure mm-hmm. to especially the marketing space that I'm like, this is the world that I want to be in. So I left school in 2008, which was the same time that MH Loan Finder blew up because of the housing crisis. Sure. And so I went on, I was like, all right, I'm going to go get a real job. Okay. Uh, and I went to go work for a, uh, I, I ran global healthcare. It was a mark. Yeah. I went to go work for a healthcare market research firm. Okay. Running their global marketing and was there for about five years. Wow. So that was my corporate. So team. was there a point like an exact point where you knew along that five-year journey that I'm going to go back and do my own thing? Or did you know all along that that was the plan? Because five years is a yeah. long time to work if you're thinking about yeah. your own thing the whole time. Um, so the, the, the cool thing about, about where I was working was uh, they brought me on. They had three offices um, uh, in, in, around the world. And they were about $18 million in revenue. And they were kind of stuck there. They're sort of plateaued. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, look, we, we've, we do sales. We, we don't know anything about branding. We hired some designer's kid to like 
put the logo together. Like there was no yep. marketing department. There was nothing. It was all just straight up sales, carrot and sticks sales, right? Mm -hmm. Sell, we give you lots of money. Don't sell, you're fired. Like it was, it was very <laughs> much sort of that kind of kind of mentality. And they knew that they wanted to grow. And so they gave me the opportunity to um, build their marketing department. And that was, it felt very entrepreneurial. Absolutely. You know, I had that flexibility to grow this organically, build the brand and then build more offices. And we ended up, by the time I left, it was a merger with another company that I got laid off because my job was made redundant then, but uh, five years later, but um, we ended up with 15 offices and a hundred wow. um, hundred million, million in revenue. In revenue. So, wow. you know, there was some nice growth there mm -hmm. uh, as a result of some of the things that we were doing. So I really valued that experience. Like mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's not a corporate job in the sense that it was static. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very dynamic. And, you know, I was always doing my side projects. Sure. Anyway, so, uh, you know, that, that all worked out. But when I left there, um, I did want to get back into the entrepreneurial scene. Mm -hmm. Very cool. How long have you been in Charlotte? I didn't catch what year you, you moved. Yeah, I came down in 96. So 96. Whatever that is. Wow. <laughs> so obviously a lot has changed in the city. Yes. <laughs> How would you describe the change in the startup scene and maybe in, in the city as well? Although I think that's such a long period of time that it's pretty obvious a lot has changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, when I started my first company um, and I'd go to networking events and all of that, the term startup wasn't used. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're sort of a brick and mortar entrepreneur. I was building a business online and they looked at me like you're can't find a job. Right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Dan talked a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when he started Packard Place, so if you told someone you're an entrepreneur or a startup, and he's, oh bummer, you're laid off and in between bank jobs. He's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was the environment then. So yeah. um, so you know back back in the day, um, Charlotte was a, just a very very different city, um, and so watching it just grow, even in just the past few years, it's yeah. grown so much. <clears throat> And the, the, the support and the ecosystem and the environment of, uh, of Charlotte's entrepreneurial community has been, it's amazing. Like, it's amazing now compared to what it was, but, yep. it, but it really is amazing. I mean, I've been to many other cities and I mean, we've got a really solid Yeah, a, uh, a Forbes article just came out that I saw circulating on LinkedIn. It was really amazing to read it. It um, was, yes, yes, it was. So where do you see the next big jump in our status as a startup or tech company scene coming? Well, I think one of the great things that, has been happening um, is to see the rise of fintech. And mm -hmm. I've got non-fintech startup friends who are going to cringe. Mm -hmm. But the reason for that, and Carolina Fintech Hub has been a big player in that, is they've not just really brought buy-in from local corporations like the banks and, and, and financial services companies. Uh, they've done so in a way that hasn't been done before. So in the past, there was... Uh, funds and projects and, and everyone would go to the banks and, you know, mm -hmm. their handout like, hey, you need to support this uh, to support entrepreneurship. And, you know, they would do so and they would say, well, what, what's the return? Like how yeah. many companies, how many jobs are created? Right? You know, there's a lot of that. And it's hard to measure. So what fintech has done is it has gotten the banks interested from a strategic level mm -hmm. in what is going on in the entrepreneurship and innovation space. And fintech as such, is about a lot more than banking, right? I mm -hmm. mean, it's about payments. It, it, it's about e-commerce. It, it touches so many other worlds, other verticals, that now you've got interest from these sectors in 
a broad swath of what's going on in the tech and innovation space, mm -hmm. which gets them more comfortable, which gets them more interested in other verticals. So I think it's had a trickle-down effect that has been positive overall. That said, the next step for Charlotte is doing the same in other verticals, such as healthcare, yep. Yep. such as energy. Yep. Uh, so when the next, you know, Carolina health tech uh, organization, you know, the, the big organization starts to bring together the work that's going on at Ortho Carolina and Atrium and Novant and, and some of the smaller um, entrepreneurial groups that center around healthcare, I think when that happens, we'll really start to see momentum. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I was involved in some of the early efforts around energy. Um, yeah. Jim Rogers, when he was running Duke Energy, um, had kind of brought down an edict to the local economic development community. Look, you've got Duke Energy, the biggest power company in America by many measures. You've got Siemens has their energy production headquarters here. Um, Charlotte, uh, UNC Charlotte had just taken a bunch of money from industry for the Energy Production and Infrastructure Center. And uh, they ended up creating a group called E4 Carolinas that yeah. I was involved with. Um, I was a founding member there. And then um, Curtis Watkins and, and Dan Roselli convinced Jim Rogers to write a check to fund what was called CLT Jewels. And now, yeah, now it's Jules. just Jewels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I was involved in that. And it was, it was really cool. And um, Level is very, very involved in the Charlotte FinTech Hub. We host events there. Uh, Chris and Scott Harkey and Greg Lloyd and several other guys do, do a lot of really good really good work there and I think it's it's always in industry's interest to try to bring together sometimes competitors but to also cooperate and kind of build out that ecosystem for sure yeah and I think that understanding is part of what's changed I don't yeah. think that would have happened before right yeah. the idea of sitting across from your competitor to to improve it's it just wasn't the way things were done yeah. um, and and now it is and I think fintech has allowed that to happen so we can't stay a fintech only innovation city mm -hmm. but fintech has certainly helped pave the way I don't yeah. think we can ignore that no I think that's a very good point I, I usually I think the normal answer and the one that I usually give is look we need a mega exit you know and we we've had big exits but we haven't had a mega exit a mega exit is AOL which prints five billionaires and right. mints 2,000 millionaires overnight and explodes. And you've got all of these wildly talented people who go start other things and they start VCs. And, and, and uh, obviously Silicon Valley had that moment a long time ago with, with Fairchild Semiconductor. Yeah. You know, if, if you look, I think it's, they call it the trillion-dollar startup because it spawned a trillion dollars of market cap through, right. over, over the decades. And, and I don't think we could point to any of our any of our exits out there is being that but but you're starting to see more meaningful exits but i think you're right like the it's it's more important to diversify because the more industries that you that you can support that are complementary to one another i think you're more likely to get that massive multiplier effect. yeah yeah and i think our path is probably going to be a little bit different than mm -hmm. that um just because ecosystems are changing the way ecosystems build are changing it's mm -hmm. it's you know, I don't know what the next exit at that level is going to be in Charlotte, but yeah. there's going to be several, you know, mid-tier mm -hmm. type level exits. Um, the big thing, the challenge for us as a community is we need to keep them. Yeah. Right. So we've got companies that are on their way to those. We need to make sure they stay in Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> well, well said. What success stories in Charlotte that are happening right now or that have happened in recent times do you think we talk too little about uh, or, just, you know, that should be part of our lexicon or part of our storytelling? Well, you know, certainly at Charlotte Inno uh, and Start Charlotte before that, we tried to tell the stories that might be under the radar. I mm -hmm. mean, certainly we're going to cover the, the, the more well-known ones, um, you know, the, the, the stratifieds mm -hmm. and the 
map anything map anything passport passport yeah and yeah. even the the skippers and to you laundry mm-hmm. like yeah i mean they, they get a lot of press at the various stages um but but there have been others that we've highlighted that either have a lot of potential mm-hmm. um or, or or have had some significant um gain i've enjoyed watching like pet screening mm-hmm. uh you know coming up and and there's another uh, company I had a chance to work with, and I think they're going to do some really great things. Um, they're Care Club, but they just rebranded, or they're about to rebrand. I won't give their new name just yet. <laughs> um, but uh, they, th- these are companies that I think have a lot of potential. What you're going to find with a lot of them is they're heads down entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They're not coming out to every event. They'll come to a few, mm-hmm. but they're heads down entrepreneurs. They're working hard in their you know, specific space, and um, some of them are going to do really really well and we need to as a community you know embrace them Mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that there's they don't move away (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so i would love to get your opinion on on hq2 and and (laughs) maybe a little more broadly on how the startup community can help the economic development community because i feel like that effort was was farmed out to the economic development community working with the city I think personally that we probably were never really as in the running as, as, as we thought we were. And I think that's what I love about Charlotte because we think big and we have guys like Vic Howie who, you know, goes to Sydney and sees the Whitewater Center down there right. and says, we're going to build one of those in Charlotte. And they're yeah. like, no, no, this is Sydney. This isn't little Charlotte. And he's like, no, Bank of America started in Charlotte. Like, we're going to do this. Right. So, so I love the fact that we, that we aim so high. But I do wonder... Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how much we've traditionally, or how, you know, I think we, because we have a very good economic development group who's very good at attracting big companies and, and keeping a lot of big companies here. I, I don't know that they look to the startup community as an equal partner. Do you maybe see that dynamic changing or how, how our startup community can help the economic development community for the next HQ2 or whatever the next big thing is? Well, yeah, so th- there's maybe a couple of different ways to answer that. Um, HQ2 specifically, you know, we have to look at the reason that Amazon gave, uh, you know, unless you want to be cynical and say they never were considering Charlotte in the first place, mm-hmm. which is possible. I don't know. Um, some of the thing, some of their direct criteria that they were looking for, I thought ruled it out right away. But yeah, but yeah, they got they got a lot of data on 200 cities, which they, is very useful. They did. They did. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the big thing that, that they came back and said was the tech talent wasn't there. Yeah. And that's, um, y- you know, the. We were talking about HQ2 or HB2. Now I just HQ2. Realized. Okay. But HB2 may have played into that story I, well, as well. I <laughs> thought you said HB2. Now I'm like, wait a minute. Am I answering the wrong question? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you know, there's no tech talent. That was that was kind of the thing, and that's something that um, even since the big HQ2 conversation mm-hmm. has increased dramatically. Uh, since then, we've had more companies bring their innovation centers here, right? We've sure. got now like the Ally Bank, the Duke Energy, Lowe's the just EY. announced theirs. Yep. Uh, you've got things like 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 the Lowe's announcement, right? Yeah. Where they're going to be filling this full of specifically tech, yeah. uh, tech and innovation. So um, a lot of the, the 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 banks, financial institutions, and other big corporations in the community are starting to develop technology across. All of, you know, just it's now starting to cross multiple disciplines. Like you need tech savvy, uh, HR, marketing, mm-hmm. you know, d- the production, like everything that you need now is more t- technology is just more a part of all uh, disciplines mm-hmm. in a company. And I think Charlotte companies are getting that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see more, a lot more of the announcements like Lowe's. So, you know, 
Now, at the time when Amazon was first having this conversation, were we seeing quite as much of it, even though it yeah. was only a few years ago? Not as much. Uh, but I do think it's a different scale. Chris and I talked a lot about this, what it would mean for level, you know, if, if, if an Amazon comes in and tries to, tries to hire 50,000 people, even if it's over a three-year period, I think that the, there would have been a dramatic inflation of salaries, which is good for the city, but it's, it is tough for the other companies to compete with, which may be a good thing. It may force us all to compete better, but we, I, I, did, I, I feel like it would have been pretty, pretty disruptive. I also think the effects on housing pricing, on infrastructure, on you know, a, a city like D.C. Or, or New York, who they originally had also selected, I think they can absorb that yeah, you know, I in mean, in a way that we really can't. Amazon would have been a big rock in a small, yeah, you know, pond or you know, yeah. mid-sized pond, and uh, it would have made ripples in in lots of yeah. things. The that, one angle yeah. that I thought we had going for us is the banking, because banking is a very important vertical to Amazon. A lot of uh, Gap One has very publicly and famously gone all in on moving on to AWS, and I think that Amazon sees this as the next frontier. If we can get a Bank of America who spends between 14 and $18 billion a year on tech, moving things into the public cloud, if we can get Wells Fargo, if we can get these other banks. So, so that was the one thing that I thought we, we might have had that, that some other, uh, other cities didn't yeah. have. But I, I think when you look at what they picked in D.C., pretty early on, it felt like that was going to be the natural, natural place, right? The, the, the CEO owns the newspaper there. The, the CEO owns the, had bought the biggest house in D.C. at the right. time. Um, it's, it is the, the starting point of, of the Internet, right? And it's why AWS is headquartered in Northern Virginia now yep. because you get the best Internet connectivity in oh, the world. It, you almost it, have to be there. <laughs> it, it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. And, you know, you can, you can certainly argue uh, this, but in some ways maybe we dodged a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> maybe bringing them on would have been more than, than, you know, as any, it just, it would have had an outsized influence on a lot of things. Like you mm -hmm. said, housing salaries, uh, everything. Um, you know, I think it was Tarek who made the point, like, are they just going to hire these tech from all the other companies? Like I yeah. would have driven up salaries and all of that. Like it might've had a lot of outsized influence that maybe our city wasn't ready for. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we're making drastic strides in, yeah. in, in that direction. And, and if in another, you know, five, six years, another opportunity like this comes up, we're going to be in a much better position to, or yeah. even less, doesn't have to be that long, but yeah. I think we're gonna be in a much better position to, yeah. to, to be competitive. Well, and, and it, it's more important than having, than attracting one 50,000 person behemoth company right. to, to have a thriving ecosystem, have the ENYs, have the Lowe's, have have all of these companies choosing to come here. And I'd rather have 25, 2000 person innovation that it's a much more diversified yeah, economy. Um, but, but I, w I mean, I was, again, I was, uh, I liked the fact that, that our, our city leaders and economic development leaders thought that we were really in the running. I think that's one of the best <laughs> aspects of, of Charlotte is that we, we aim high and that's we, why we do aim high <laughs> yes so well well look this is this has been great Juan I really appreciate you coming and, and talking to us and I and I really appreciate what you've done for the community um, across all all three of your efforts it's uh, it's really cool to see and I'm glad that, that it's I, I think it is encouraging more and more people to get involved in this community and, and obviously there's a uh, there's just a critical mass that we hit and I feel like although it may some of us maybe a lot of us are maybe frustrated with the 
pace of progress within our city. I think we can all agree that it's in a much better place than it was 10 years ago, and it's positioned to be in a much better place 10 years from now. So again, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Uh, you know, thanks for having me. Thanks for you know, giving a, an opportunity to, to chat about these things. I, I love talking about it. Uh, excellent. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.